What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today is a very special episode. It is a nutrition Q&A, and it has been a while since I have done a strictly nutrition episode or strictly anything episode, right? It's always interviews or just random Q&As with a bunch of different stuff. So today we're going to keep it in the nutrition realm, and I'm literally going to answer concerns, questions, and confusions. So I actually posted on Facebook recently um, just to start a conversation. I just wanted to get people's in, uh, feedback. I wanted to talk. I wanted to share my struggles. I wanted to help problem solve, and I just asked, what is your biggest nutrition confusion or struggle? And the post blew up, and there's just a bunch of conversation going on and I looked at it and I was like shit I need to do a podcast on this so today I'm literally going to scroll through all of these comments and I'm going to break them down resolve them provide solutions answer questions do whatever I can to help you um, learn more about nutrition and I can guarantee you that you're going to relate to a lot of the questions that have been asked and a lot of the topics that I'm going to cover today because we literally are going to touch on everything that has to do with nutrition I mean from training to fat loss to muscle gain to strength to performance to hormones to nervous system um, lifestyle flexibility like there's a question about damn near everything and I'm going to kind of do it rapid fire style because there is a lot and I want to I want to be able to knock out like all 20 plus of these questions so we're going to crank through these fast and I'm just going to be full um, transparent with you it might be a process it might be a journey get ready to laugh because I don't know how this is going to go I mean shit I just recorded for I don't know how long and it wasn't even on <laughs> so I'm sitting here talking to myself in my office, just going off on nutrition. And then I look over and I'm like, oh, shit, I should probably plug in the mic before I start recording and I hit record. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes today. But without any further ado, let's get on to the nutrition Q&A. All right. The first comment on this post was what to do when you don't know what to do, meaning you feel like you're doing everything right, but weight keeps increasing and you still feel bad overall. I know so many factors apply. Just interested to see where you would start. So when I see the when I see the line uh, or the sentence weight keeps increasing, uh, increasing up, but you still feel bad overall, my assumption is that you're in some kind of reverse diet. So typically when we're increasing calories and our weight is increasing, but we're, we're not feeling better. That means that you're tracking your weight and you're tracking how you feel, your biofeedback, mood, stress, sleep, cravings, hunger, performance. So that tells me that you're probably in a reverse diet and it's, and it's going slow. So if that's the case, I would just, I mean, educate yourself on reverse dieting. As you know, like weight gain is possibility. Um, and you're just targeting biofeedback and that's, you just, you got to be patient. I mean, like as unfortunate as that may be, like you really just got to be patient. So what I would say is, is just educate yourself. Now, going off the first line when it says what to do when you just don't know what to do, again, educate yourself. So why don't you know what to do and what's your goal, right? So if, if we're sitting here and we go, okay, fat loss is my goal, nutrition is my issue, what do I do? First and foremost, you, I mean, you have two options, uh, hire a coach or educate yourself. And I mean, even better, hire a coach that will actually educate you in the process because I think a real good coach will answer any and all questions about any and all things that you're doing along the process so you can actually learn. But the point is, is like you're, you're, you're chasing education. Like I'm huge on just learning in general, honestly, about life. And, And I said this the other day in a post, it's like, like education is to me the most valuable thing in this life because it's the only thing that goes forever. You can never know enough about any subject because it keeps going on and on and on. It's literally the only thing in the world that never dies. So you can constantly learn. So I'm huge on that. And I would just say educate yourself, right? So if we take that in every aspect possible, you're, you, you cut fat and now you're looking to build muscle. Okay. Educate yourself on the best ways to uh, train for hypertrophy, to eat for hypertrophy, to eat to miti- uh, mitigate cortisol levels and optimize recovery so you can build more muscle tissue. Um, you want to go into performance. Okay, What is the performance about? Is it for a specific sport? Is it for powerlifting? Is it for bodybuilding? Is it for whatever, right? So I think the answer to your question is honestly just educating yourself because if you don't know what to do, you need to learn what to do. And if you learn how to do what you need to do, you'll be more comfortable with not necessarily – being at the goal right away, if that makes sense. Like, I think the thing that we crave as human beings is actually actually the process, not the, the end result. So people get frustrated because they don't know what to do. Well, they're getting frustrated because they don't understand the process, right? So if you can learn to understand the process, you become a lot more patient 
in the journey of getting to that end goal. And that's a little bit of a rant, but I hope that makes sense because basically what I'm saying, like if, if somebody tells me, like if I tell them, hey, uh, I want to lose 30 pounds. Okay, cool. Do this and reach back out to me in six months and you should be 30 pounds down. Okay, cool. I'll start doing it, but I'm going to get frustrated because I don't understand why it's working. I don't understand why I'm doing it. I do not really get the philosophy, the theory, the concept, the process. I don't understand anything about this journey of why I'm doing this. And I'm not even 100% sure if it'll get me to the end result. I'm just trusting their word. So unless I educate myself on what, why, how, and when, everything about it, I'm going to be frustrated. I'm not going to understand anything about it. And that's going to lead to, I mean, really it's going to lead to no result, but essentially it's going to lead to frustration along the process, confusion, like I said in the very beginning of what this podcast is all about, right? So um, what to do when you don't know is just educate yourself. Educate yourself 100 times. The next one is, Counting macros at times can be tough, especially for someone new to it. Is it okay if occasionally you go over? For example, yesterday I was over 10 grams on protein and 6 on fat. Carbs were under. Okay, so <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. When when I hear uh, occasionally go over, I'm thinking, oh, you probably went over you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 grams of carbs or something like tw- 10, 20 grams of fat. You went over 10 grams of protein. Not an issue at all. I wouldn't even consider that off. If you're in my mind, if in protein, and this is okay. So speaking to everybody who is not a physique competitor, as in you are not getting on stage to be judged on how lean you are, which is a whole other topic of whether that's morally <laughs> correct and everything. But if you're not that person, I think if you are above or below 10 grams of protein, you're an A plus. I would not worry about it, and that's a, a very regular thing for me because shit if I buy a steak and it's a nice steak I'm not gonna cut a piece off of it to like get 10 grams less protein (laughs) like I'm eating that shit right so I don't and I think that like that goes back to the lifestyle point right like you're gonna do more damage stressing about the intricacies of that and how detailed your cut is versus just eating the damn steak and being 10 grams over in protein um you were over six grams on fat now what we do need to know about fat is that Fat is more calorically dense, two times more calorically dense um, than protein and carbs. So if you were over six grams of fat, that's equivalent to 12 plus grams of protein and carbs, right? Pretty much. So it does matter a little bit more. I like to say within two to three grams of your fat count is ideal. That's A plus. Uh, Five to six would be like a B. So you're still not – it's not that big of a deal. And you said occasionally. So if occasionally you're going over by that much, I don't think it's the end of the world. And on top of that, you can just adjust the other nutrients to make sure you stay within your caloric intake. And that goes to the next point. She said carbs were under. So if your carbs were under – then you're golden. I would scratch the protein thing. Don't even worry about it. So if you went over six grams of fat, but you can easily make 12 grams less on carbs to make sure that you're still within your caloric intake, you're golden, right? And it's not exactly 12 because it's nine calories versus four, but you get the point. It's about twice. So if you can just drop carbs a little bit, so you're, so you, you going over in fat doesn't increase your calories, I think you're golden. Now, in a perfect world, you're staying within plus or minus 10 grams of protein and carbs, and you're staying within plus or minus two to three grams of fat. That's a perfect world. And then you don't have to worry about calories because I do think it's smarter to focus on macros versus calories. Then you're fine. And again, like, yes, for somebody who's extremely serious about this stuff, if you can get within a couple grams of everything – yeah, that's A plus 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 plus. Like you're that's great. But it's not something to stress over occasionally, no. Especially from a lifestyle standpoint. Emotional eating. Oh God, this is a whole entire conversation itself. And I think I think a lot of people struggle with that. So I mean shit, let me think. And just, just to let you guys know, I haven't read any of these. Like I read I, I skimmed through them and liked some and read a couple, but I haven't really there were so many comments I didn't dig into them to provide solutions because I knew I was gonna do it on the podcast. So I don't have a a roadmap of how I'm going to answer these questions is what I'm getting at. But emotional eating, I mean, I think emotional eating comes down to mindset, right? I don't think it has anything – like because people can argue, you know, oh, you should stop tracking macros because that's too um, anal retentive and you're just like constantly sucked in your phone and you're calculating all this shit. Like, well, yeah, but I can say the same thing about clean eating, right? Like if you're focusing on eating so clean that you can't have a fucking – cookie or a beer or or some ketchup on your fries every once in a while like come on like that's super restrictive that's going to cause just as bad of a relationship with food as counting macros 
I would actually argue that restricting food that bad, like that much, and eating that clean all the time is actually even worse than counting macros from a restrictive or like a an eating relationship perspective. Because I know a lot of people that have actually overcome eating disorders because they started tracking macros because it allows them to be flexible and learn that, you know what, like eating a little bit of this is not that bad, right? So, but going back to the emotional eating thing is like, I really, I really think it just comes down to stress and mindset. So my advice for you is attack everything else in your life that's going on, right? Are you, are you in a stressful work environment? Can you change that? If not, how can you cope with it better, right? It goes back to that Craig Valentine thing he said on my podcast. Control what you can, cope with what you can't, and concentrate on what counts. So if you can't control it, cope with it and learn how to cope with it, right? And the, the next thing would be what's your family life like? What's your home environment like? Where are you hanging out the most, right? Change your environment because that's going to lead to less stress. It's going to lead to more positive just exercises, activities, and, and just people and just surroundings and everything, right? A more positive environment is going to lead to less stress and it's going to lead to less emotional outbreaks of any sort, right? Whether that's lashing out at somebody or it's eating food and binging, right? There's, I mean, there's a million ways people hand emotions like that, but first and foremost, change your environment. Next, I would start like focusing on like good, just self-development habits, right? Are you reading any books or listening to any audiobooks or podcasts that actually promote better mindfulness, better self-awareness, better mental and emotional health? If you're not, then start, right? Like I think people... People think it's cheesier. They don't have enough time to listen to a podcast or listen to an ebook that's going to talk about an audiobook that's going to talk about like some deep shit, to be honest with you, some deep shit and some mental shit, some emotional stuff, some things that make you really think, right? Like a great book for anybody who has struggles with their mindset or emotions or depression or anxiety or anything like that. And you really need to reframe the way your brain is thinking. Go check out. Loving What Is by Byron Katie. That book completely shifted my mindset um, to rethinking and responding instead of reacting, right? Just like constantly like becoming way more aware of how I was responding to things and how negative stories were being created in my head, self-limiting beliefs. Like that book is a game changer, right? And it comes with a worksheet that you can actually fill out on people and situations that allows you to remove anger, remove anxiety, remove negative thoughts and negative stories out of your head. So you can read it and do the worksheet or you can listen to the audiobook and do the worksheet. I highly suggest doing the audiobook because she will talk you through it. She'll talk people through it on audio. So you actually listen to her take people through the exercise. It's pretty crazy. But I would start working on self-development and then I would set up a morning routine. You guys know how big I am on morning routines, but I truly think that myself, like I wake up, start the coffee machine, do some band pole parts and curls and push-ups and stuff, just get my heart moving a little bit for a couple minutes, drinking a greens drink, writing out gratitudes, writing out an affirmation statement, and then writing positive focus. So what happened? What's the lesson? And why is it positive? And how do you apply that lesson to your life? Me doing those things every single morning and then taking some time to read meditating like these little things like they really do add up and I guarantee they can just completely diminish your emotional eating because you are working on yourself right it has nothing to do with food it has everything to do with your emotional well-being so I highly suggest just working on those kind of things um and then last but not least I would practice good eating habits because I do believe that there's some trickery going on with the chemicals inside of processed and highly uh like high sugar foods things that are like messing with your food palate messing with your brain connection to your taste buds everything like that and it's going to throw you off and it can just lead to more cravings so i think that's that's a big deal too all right let's see here we got one oh this is a big one my number one struggle is hating the way being in a deficit feels, even a small one. I've come a long way when it comes to fueling myself with real food, not binging or eating crap very often, and I drink very little alcohol. I've improved my relationship with food and improved my thyroid function after years of chronic dieting followed by periods of binging. I'm on thyroid meds, but finally able to move the needle on the scale at, at a higher calorie point, whereas before I was stuck no matter how much or little I hate, ate. I'd like to lose the last 5 to 10 pounds of fat, but just cannot seem to consume less without constantly thinking about food. I know that a cut isn't necessarily supposed to be comfortable, but I think my issues are mostly psychological. So kudos to you for, like, I mean, putting that out there because obviously on Facebook we can see who you are and you're just being open about it and people love the comments. So, I mean, I know that touched a lot of people and a lot of people can relate. I mean, in my mind, the first thing I go to is, number one, you writing that probably made you feel a little bit better, 
right? Because you just wrote out like, I overcame this. I changed this. I, I started being better at this. I no longer have this, this issue here. I've lost this much. Like my first go-to a recommendation for you as a coach would be to write out that more often, right? Like use that as an affirmation, right? Remind yourself that you have overcome a lot. You have fixed a lot already. You have already lost a lot. Like you've already done so well. Like do not forget that and keep reminding yourself of that because that's fuel. That's motivation. That's ambition to keep going. So my first go-to would be like remind yourself of that constantly. My second one would be ex- everything I just talked about with the emotional eating. Stress management, environment change, positive focus, all these different things. I highly suggest doing all those because I guarantee it will just bring you more motivation. Now, if we go to a tactical standpoint, I would be like, okay, well, you have a couple options. One, we can just work on all those mindset drills so you can push forward and just be in the deficit and just kind of handle it for a little bit longer and just slowly lose fat. So instead of going into a huge five, 600 calorie deficit, maybe you go into a 250, 300 calorie deficit. It's still tough. And you do that five out of the six, seven days a week. So two days are a little bit higher calorie, normal maintenance, give you a little bit of a refeed and you focus on high volume food. So we're looking at like eating a massive salad, right? Like this is something I'll do when I'm going into deficit is one meal a day is always a huge salad because romaine lettuce is crunchy water. It's so low calorie. I'll figure, fill up the biggest salad bowl I have in my house and I'll put lean meat in there. I'll put a hard boiled egg, tomato, ton of veggies, right? And then some like low calorie dressing. It's very, very filling for low calories. So just playing tricks with your meals like that to make you feel like you're eating more than you actually are calorically speaking. I think that's a very, a very good way to do it. Another way would be adding an intermittent fasting day. So maybe Sunday is your rest day. Well, maybe you sleep in and you don't eat till freaking 3 PM. So you get an 18 hour fast and you only have, you know, as low as this sounds anywhere between 500 to a thousand calories, which is just really one meal, a meal and a snack, like a meal and dessert, but it's only one day out of the week. So yes, that's extremely low caloric intake and that's not healthy, but if you're only doing that one day a week and you're getting the benefits of fasting, like I don't think that's an issue at all. And it can be an easy way to create a big deficit, right? Because if you're eating uh, 2,000 calories a day and we take away – or let's say we only eat 1,000 calories on um, Sunday. Well, that's a big calorie deficit over the week, right? I want to say it's over 100 at least. But I mean – so it's a small daily – or a big weekly, right? So you can look at it two different ways. At the end of the day, your weekly caloric deficit is still going to be the same and you're getting the benefits of fasting and you're, you're not training so it's not a recovery issue. So you might want to consider one day of intermittent fasting. So there's a lot of ways you can play like tricks and games with your caloric intake, your meals and things like that to set it up better. And then last but not least, I would just not even change – like I'm, I'm writing an article as we speak that it should be – out next week or so um, on Dr. John Russin's site. And it's basically teaching people how to burn body fat while building muscle, which has been known to be scientifically impossible. But what experience tells a lot of great coaches is that it's absolutely possible. I've had plenty of clients do it and I teach you exactly how to do it. And in my, my approach in there is essentially just getting almost anal with your, your approach to training, right? You're very methodical of your training program. You are working on conditioning at the end of each day, uh, very, very short, high intensity bursts. So you're getting the metabolic effect. You're doing a full body training session. So you're getting the highest uh, muscle turnover frequency that you can possibly get. You have a couple recovery-based cardio days a week. You're amplifying sleep. You're amplifying uh, your hormones through some specific meal timing strategies. You have a meal routine, meaning your meals are at the same time every single day because when you do that and you get that routine, your body adjusts, adapts, and actually will improve insulin sensitivity because of your meal routine, which is going to help. You can incorporate a little bit of fasting by just not eating for 12 hours each day, which is very easy to do, but it will help your circadian rhythm. We can take some supplements like very, very basic ones, but vitamin D, zinc, magnesium, vitamin C, uh, fish oil, even like glucose disposal agents. Um, You can do a post-workout carbohydrate and protein shake after training sessions to amplify recovery and cortisol mitigation. So there's all these little tiny, tiny details that we can throw into your training and nutrition that are, I guess, quote unquote, hardcore, or just a little bit over the top, but they can actually help you burn fat while not making a big calorie deficit because they're things you're not doing yet. So there's a lot of ways to go about it, but um, I want to say kudos. I think you've came a long way and I'm, I'm proud of you for that alone. Um, let's see, freaking booze. <laughs> so, yeah, she's she's got a drinking issue. Uh, 
Freaking booze. So I, th- I think the I don't know if she's uh, it's a struggle or concern she's talking about here, but um, or I mean a struggle or confusion she's talking about. But um, my I mean shit. My advice of this is personally, I drink once a week and I keep it at that. Uh, I find that from a health perspective, um, and from a staying lean easily perspective, I think once and once a week is fine. I don't think like the thing is with alcohol is like we got to remember that when we consume alcohol, it's a toxin, right? So our body shuts down all processes until it can get that toxin out. And what that essentially means is that fat mobilization, which is the scientific term for fat loss and uh, muscle building, so just tissue regeneration, um, testosterone, growth hormone, all these different things, these systems that help us lose fat and build muscle shut off. And our body goes to work on getting rid of the alcohol. Once the alcohol is gone, then we can go back to building muscle, burning fat, metabolizing, so on and so forth. The issue with this is if we, okay, so like I have a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't drink much. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. What does that look like? Well, you know, I have like a glass of wine or two every night. And I'm like, okay, well, the issue with this is that you, you're turning on that signal for your body to stop all these processes and work on getting rid of the alcohol, Right. And if we drank one bottle in one night, that's only one night. Now, a bottle is pretty excessive, but that's one night that you send off that signal and all these processes start. Rather than every single day, these processes have to start, wait, and restart again. So my suggestion is never to drink more than twice a week. But if you can and you're really focused on performance or your body composition, keep it to one day a week. Like just – it's one of those things where it's like – it's a lifestyle change and, and as, as – I don't want to sound like a dick, but – it's it's one of those things that's just like you're gonna have to practice self discipline, right? If somebody's like, oh, I have a really big issue with chocolate, I can't can't stop eating chocolate. Well, get it out of the fucking house. I mean, that's it's it's tough and it's kind of brutal to say it that way. It's tough love, but the truth of the matter is, is I've had struggles with specific foods or drinks or whatever. And the first go-to thing is like remove it from the house because if it's in front of you, then it becomes a temptation. And when your body has to fight off temptations, it is using energy. It is using brain power. It is using – actually even studies have shown that it's using glucose, like – excuse me, literally carbohydrates to create this decision-making process. So – the more you fight up these temptations, the more drain you get, the less self-discipline you have, and the more likely you are to cave on it. That's why if you have it in the house, every so often you're going you're gonna to cave in. So for me, I'm making an event out of it, right? I'm a, I'm a big wine guy. Um, but during the pregnancy, um, I was drinking a lot of beer because Shannon's not a big beer guy, but she's a huge wine fan. And the last thing I want to do is buy a super nice bottle of wine, crack it open, and have a couple glasses in front of my pregnant wife who couldn't have any. <laughs> like, I am not that kind of guy. So for a long time, I was only drinking beer, but I did the same exact thing that I do with wine, right? Saturday nights, we're cooking dinner. Cool, let's go to the grocery store, get some like a good steak or some whatever veggies we're going to cook. We're going to get our meal already, and we're going to buy a new bottle of wine, right? Or I was buying microbrews. I'd buy a couple big-ass bottles of microbrews, those like big 20-ounce or whatever. So you go and you make an event out of it, right? I'm reading the bottle labels. I'm picking which one I want. I decide on a couple things, and, and you make an event out of it, right? And if we don't drink it by the end of the night, toss it. Who cares? Like, I mean, is it a waste? Yeah, but... It's better than me sipping on it throughout the week and gaining fat and being pissed off because I'm not hitting my goals. I'll waste ten bucks. I don't. I really don't care about that. Um, so my my suggestion is basically just like, look, self discipline's the only way. And and if you are gonna drink once a week, which is totally fine, adjust your nutrition around it. If you're not tracking, try to just eat protein and veggies all day until you have your dinner and, and alcohol. Or if you're tracking macros, I would suggest removing fats and then if you if you have to remove some carbs as well. Never protein. And just to fit the alcohol in, it's pretty, pretty simple. And, and you can get away with it. And they've actually done studies that show like weekly drinking, as long as it fits in the calories, you're not going to gain any body fat. So these people, these people did not gain any extra weight um, as long as alcohol was fit into their calories compared to the people who are drinking alcohol on top of their calories, right? So diets controlled, exercise induced, everything. But the people who had the alcohol on top of their calories actually gained body fat, gained weight. So there is merit to say that if you fit on your calories, you'll be fine. But one thing I will say is that the person – I can almost guarantee that if person A had no alcohol with the same amount of calories as person B but with alcohol, person A that's not drinking alcohol, even though the calories are going to be the same, is going to lose more body fat. Guaranteed. This is totally random, but I had people ask me about those Thrive patches today. They supposedly have ingredients in them to make you more energetic, motivated, ETC, etc. I'm curious to see what you would say about these things. I wish I had more info on them, but I don't. I just see everyone walking around the gym with them on all of a sudden. <laughs> I mean, God. 
if I had to be completely honest, I think it's stupid. I don't, I think that, I think, you know what, like as a, as a culture, we are, we are, uh, we're a, we're a society that is like constantly striving to find hacks and shortcuts and anything we can do to get the upper edge. And it almost frustrates me because I'm such a big believer in real nutrition that I just think that it's, it makes so much sense to say, why can't we just focus on eating real food, exercising, and sleeping enough? If, if you honestly got nine hours of sleep every fucking night, you ate real food, and you, you followed a macronutrient-based diet, whether that's on the dot or just in ranges just so you know you're not over-consuming or under-consuming too much, and you just exercised it regularly, regularly and just managed stress, like these things, I guarantee you wouldn't need a patch to help pick you up. Guarantee you. And guessing by the person that wrote this, I can guarantee you probably agree with me because I know you. And I think that, I just think, I don't know, I just think people are looking for hacks. I think it's probably stupid. I don't see how a patch could give me more motivation. I mean, if they're tapping into some crazy science, that's cool. But I'm a really natural guy. Um, You know, and I think that, like, not so natural that I don't wear deodorant or anything hippie like that. But I just, I'm just a big fan of just, man, like what can we do to optimize our body through the most natural modalities possible? And the best way to do that is sleep, meditation, rest, train hard, train light, just move and just eat real food, right? Like I think that's, that's what it all comes down to and stress less, try to laugh more. Metabolic adaptation. So she's confused about it. So metabolic adaptation is a term that was created based on the term that was created before that called metabolic damage. So, and I want to say Lane Norton was the guy that coined metabolic damage and he got a lot of flack for it. He got a lot of hate for it, especially from the medical community because technically, quote unquote, you can't damage your metabolism because it's something that can be repaired or whatever. So technically it's adapted. But either way, the whole purpose of that term is the same thing. It's adaptation and damage is the same thing. So metabolic adaptation is basically saying that your metabolism has slowed down and it has reset to that lower level. Meaning, let's say you were eating 2000 calories and you created a 500 calorie deficit to lose weight. You lost weight, but you've been at 1500 calories for a long time now. Well, now your metabolism has metabolically adapted to that 1500 calories, creating a new maintenance caloric intake. So no longer can you eat 2000 calories and maintain your weight, but you can eat 1500 calories and maintain your weight. The reason it was coined damage is because a lot of people would get to that 1500 and they would never bring it back up because they would get scared of gaining more weight. Because if you do just bring it right back up to 2000, you probably would gain a little bit of weight. But if you did it slowly, if you did it properly with the right macronutrients, you focus on stress and training as well, like you can bring it back up without gaining weight. You just got to be patient. You got to do it the right way and you got to have a slow process. But they called it metabolic damage at first because they believed it was damaged. Like once you're down there, you're stuck, you're screwed. Like now you have a low calorie intake. But the reality of it is it's only been adapted, meaning it can readapt to a higher caloric intake. And that's the whole purpose of reverse dieting, right? With reverse dieting, you you are metabolically adapted. So we want to essentially like re-adapt you, I guess, at a higher intake. We want to slowly bring your calories up, work you up to a higher point of calories, and then let your body adapt metabolically again at a higher caloric set point. So now we're going to bring you back up to 2000 or more, and then we're going to wait there and let you adapt there. So metabolic adaptation is just a term basically letting you know that your metabolism has adapted to a lower and unhealthier uh, state. And that can be reversed, which is why it's not damaged anymore. Easiest way to get started counting macros without religiously weighing and measuring out every single thing to a T. Guesstimate. Like, that's, to be honest with you, that's the best way to go. Uh, I mean, there's things online you can look at that show you, like, the size of your palm is, or your hand is about four ounces of cooked chicken or five ounces or whatever it may be, um, which I think help. Obviously, that's relative to the individual because if, I mean, <laughs> like, if you're a mechanic and you got, like, those sausage fingers where you just got some big-ass hands, I mean, you're looking at an eight-ounce hand <laughs> for as far as chicken breast goes. So I think it kind of changes, but um, I think that's that's a route though, right? It gives you an estimation like, okay, well, like people's hands are typically four to six ounces. Um, I have a decent size <laughs> – sounds so weird. I have a decent size hand, so I'm going to put that in the middle and say five ounces, right? So there's ways you can do it like that, or and you can look at it too, right? Like for meat, that's probably the best way to go because, I mean, whether you look at chicken, steak – 
or fish, it's all right around the same ounces per handful. Um, and then if you look at uh, vegetables, you can look at cups as sizes. For oils, you can look at – and butter, you can look at tablespoons. So there's a lot of different ways to do it, and you can be fine. Even like sweet potato, right? If you can't weigh your sweet potato, well, you can – I mean you can look at a big-ass sweet potato and go, okay, that's probably three cups chopped up into cubes. We'll go on my fitness pal. They have cups, cubed cups. Like that's a measurement, serving size. So – there's ways to do it of just guessing. You're not going to be – like here's, here's the thing we got to realize is like your numbers aren't going to be on a T because you're not measuring, but your results might not be to a T either. So there's certain people that can get away with this very easily, right? If you've never tracked macros before, you've never dieted, this is all new to you. If you did that, you would probably see great results because you're eating better foods. You're, you're becoming more aware. You're being conscious. You're eating around the right ballpark. You're probably going to be fine. If you're somebody who is like the guy who asked this question – and you're already like you're pretty lean, dude. So like if you were to do that and your results weren't like stellar, I'd be like, man, you might want to weigh some food for a while. Learn and become more aware of what food actually weighs. So when you do guesstimate, you're more on point. But also so you can get some crazy results for a little while, right? So I think it really depends um, quite a bit. And I even have somebody in this uh, – like I have a very high-level athlete, ex-athlete. Dude was already lean, but he wasn't like shredded. He wasn't like jacked. He wanted to gain a little bit of size while getting a little bit leaner. Um, and he was just getting back. He's actually running functional muscle right now in my training program, which there's a link in the pro, uh, in the description if you want to get. Four days a week, upper lower split. I'm getting some insane. I actually just got a freaking testimony email that is was insane. Talking about literally have had uh, joint pain for because they did CrossFit years ago has had joint pain ever since and they never knew how they haven't like really been able to go in on heavy lifting since because their joints have been so bad but utilizing functional muscle with the warm up the activation the priming and then the, the specific strength training through functional movement they've been able to get gains and train pain free they don't have any pain anymore so like not only are they aesthetically looking better but their pain is going away which was really really cool but anyway this dude is uh doing that and he, he dove into nutrition coaching with me and we got really specific right? Like workout nutrition, meal timing, like dialing in his, he was weighing his food. And the dude is literally like, <laughs> it's been like eight weeks and he, he's gained, he's down a pound actually. So I think he's, he started shredding fast. So we had to bump his calories up, but we're going to get him gaining, but he shredded and it's just like crazy. So I think there's merit to it. Like if you don't care too much about your results being to a T, you don't have to, they don't have to be. And most people, like if you really want to cut fat or you really want to build size, and you're that passionate about that goal, you are absolutely willing to measure your food for a little bit to become more aware so you don't have to later on. And half the time, it's not that hard, right? Like, I, I measure my food to this day. But obviously, I can't always. Like, if Shannon's cooking, sometimes I have to guess. If we're going out to eat, sometimes I have to guess. Like, and it is what it is. But because I track, I'm able to guess better. So part of me wants to say, like, I suggest you tracking and weighing and measuring to a T so you can learn how to guesstimate very well. But the other part of me goes... You don't have to. Like if you don't want to, you just don't have to. It's just like it's just eyeballing, right? It's just being smart about those choices. <laughs> why am I still fat when I work out every day and eat well, laugh a lot? Oh, God. Why am I still fat? Uh, man, I mean this could be – there could be a lot going on with you, bro. Like you could have a horrible training program. You could uh, – what does eat well mean, right? Like I think this is this is what calories and, and if it fits your macros has taught us, right? Like I don't know how many times I've I've asked a new client, so what's your diet like? Oh, are you really clean? Are you really well? I'm like, okay, well let's look at that, right? And they eat a salad with organic uh, vinaigrette dressing, right? And then I'm like, okay, cool, that's awesome. What's in the salad? And they're like, all right, well I have salmon and olives and a hard boiled egg and some candied bacon with some pecans and some oil vinaigrette. And I'm like, okay, well, you have 24 grams of fat because you used three tablespoons of that dressing. You have fat from the olives, fat from the eggs, fat from the bacon, fat from the nuts. You have sugar from the candy-coated bacon and nuts. You have sugar in the dressing. Like we start adding all these things up. It's very low protein. It's not very high fiber because it's a salad. And we go, your clean or eating well salad is really like 850 calories, mainly of fat, right? And it might be healthy fat, but an excess in fat is an excess in fat. Just like an excess in carbs is an excess in carbs. Just like an excess in calories is an excess in calories. So it really comes down to that, man. Like if you're eating really well and you're training really hard, I would track your macros because honestly, then we could dial it in. That's what the beauty of macros is. You can be – I just did a post on this the other day on my Instagram. You can be a paleo uh, or a vegetarian or a bodybuilder, a powerlifter, crossfitter, a soccer mom, an average dude. You can 
intermittent fast. You can do anything as far as training and nutrition goes and still track your macros because macros isn't a diet. Macros is a a measurement. It's a metric. It's a way of understanding and utilizing a tool to measure what you're actually doing and see better results because of it. So I'm huge on tracking macros for that exact reason because you can eat any way, have any goal, be any type of athlete, and you could still see better results because of that. So I highly suggest tracking macros if I were you. I would look at your workout program too. Like, are you doing a bodybuilding style split? Maybe you try up or lower or a full body because guaranteed the more muscles you work per session, the more calories you're going to burn, you'll probably burn some fat. Um, and, and if you're really stuck like that, man, get a coach. Like, I mean, I think it's, I know I am a coach, so I'm biased, but I think it's so obvious, man. Like a lot of people are, are stuck and confused and they don't understand why things are going on or why their body's not responding. Well, if you don't have an expert in your corner guiding you, then, then, how do you expect to be able to understand it, right? You need somebody to teach you. Like people go to school, right? People pay to go to college. People have their kids go to school. We go to, as a culture, we go to school for 18 years of our lives and listen to somebody else teach us how to do random shit. There's uh, half of it's not even making us better, right? Like geology and, I mean, geometry and shit like that. I mean, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna be real. I never made it to geometry, but <laughs> I did algebra and, or maybe even just pre-algebra. I was horrible at that. Man, I feel I feel really dumb <laughs> saying this now. But I never used that shit in my life, right? I run a successful business, and you best believe I deal with numbers all the time. I haven't once used algebra, geometry, or any of that shit, right? Like, it's just, I think that, it, but the point being is, I almost went on a really big tangent about school. But the point is, is we pay people in, to go to school for 18 years of our life, which I think is important because I think personally the biggest aspect of school is social cues and social learning but we we expect teachers to teach us right to teach us how to do things because we don't know how to do it ourselves we're kids and we need to learn right i don't i don't fix the pipes in my toilet a plumber does that right if i wanted to learn how to play guitar a guitar teacher would tell me how to do it right so why do people expect to get insane results without a coach teaching them how to lose fat build muscle optimize their body and health i don't know so my advice to you, man, is if you can't track macros and dial that in or get a good training program, I mean, shit, dude, hire a coach. All right, working out hard and feeling like crap, complete crap, even worse, when starting a change in diet. Exhausted, don't even want to think about going back to the gym, long recovery times, etc. Damn. Well, a couple things. I mean, one, like if you're feeling like that going into a diet, man, you might be uh, – actually, I don't know if it's a male or female. I'm sorry. Um you might be going a little too hard, a little too aggressive. So if you go into a diet and you cut hard and it's zapping you like that, like you feel like crap, you don't you like your motivation drops, um, you're, you're not recovering, then your diet is a little too aggressive or your training is too aggressive still because of your diet. So a lot of people are training balls to the wall, doing CrossFit or high-volume bodybuilding programs, and then they go, okay, it's time to cut. I'm going to change my diet, and they cut a bunch of calories, but they keep training the way they're training. So now we have stress overload and we're under recovering, right? It's the same thing with under eating. Like, I mean, or I mean, yeah. So like overtraining, under eating, same thing, right? Stress is stress. So if you're going to change your diet to cut hard, you need to lower your intensity in the gym. You need to probably prioritize a little bit of heavy, heavy lifting because you need that to stimulate maintenance of muscle. But you're probably only getting like a normal, like good strength set rep scheme would be six by three, for example. You should cut that down to like two or three sets of three. Get the stimulus and move on. Do some hypertrophy work because if you're overloading your training while you're in that deficit, you're going to get fried. Now, if you've been feeling this way for more than eight weeks, then I would say that you're in a, a chronic diet. You're, you've been dieting for too long and your biofeedback slowly tanking. Those are signals that you've gone too far to be honest with you. Those are signals I watch with clients and I make sure that they don't experience. So as we're dieting down, we watch those things. And when they get to a point where those things are happening, they're sleeping bad, their energy's low, their metabolism sucks. Then I'm going, okay, we got to bring you back up. We can't diet this hard, right? We have to slow it down a little bit. We have to reverse. We have to take a diet break, add some refeeds in, do something to hormonally boost you up so you can keep moving. Um, and that's another good point. Like just adding refeeds in there once or twice a week while you're in a major deficit is smart. And there's many ways. I mean, there's even uh, like the Matador study is a great example. Like they took people and they left them at maintenance calories for a week and then dieted them super hard. Like, I mean, poverty macros cranked up the diet deficit for a full week. And what that did is actually it stimulated a lot of good fat loss without a lot of the hormonal negative benefits, I believe, because they're not in a chronic diet constantly. Every other week they have hella calories. 
So, and that's a good way you can go really hard in the gym for a week, a little bit lighter in the gym, recovery-based, movement-based, pump-based, then go hard again, then, you know what I mean, go back and forth. So there's a lot of ways, and I would just say, man, like, just trying to dial things in to make sure that your diet isn't taking over how you feel across the board is probably the, the smartest way to go. All right. Honestly, biggest struggle for me is usually just eating enough. I don't enjoy eating the way most people seem to. I do it because I have to, not because I enjoy it usually. Someone said, why can't I be like you? He said, grass is always greener. Laugh a lot. Makes it really hard to get big. Makes being active the way I'd like to be really hard. Totally get it, man. I think this is, honestly, even even me, like when I'm not trying to cut, it can be tough, right? Like we we reverse dieted my calories. So I just started a cut. Um, we actually didn't drop my calories at all because we wanted to add a little bit. Like So I bumped my training up. So a little insight into my cut um, for the summer. We I started a new training program very like starting my cut and because of that we didn't manipulate tra- uh, nutrition at all so I'm still eating quite a bit working on the cut because I mean for weeks and weeks and weeks I was going very low volume because we had you know we just had the baby the baby just turned six weeks like yesterday so for us for me it was like I'm not going to train balls to the wall because it's stress overload right I'm not sleeping um, I can't like there's just no way so it was like quick, shorter sessions, not as much volume. But once I started this cut, we're starting to get regular with sleep. I just started a couple weeks ago. Um, actually, last week. I bumped my volume and intensity up like crazy. Like his new program, four days a week, full body, like really going hard at it. And then two days of abs and cardio. So that alone, and I'm moving more like walking, standing, everything. So that alone, we're like, let's not touch the calories at all. So I'm eating 3,000 calories a day, which is a lot for me and because uh, I'm only 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, you know, I'm not a huge guy, 170 pounds, 170 – I'm floating between 170 to 173. So I'm, I'm not a big guy and so that is a lot of calories and it can be tough for me to eat it all. And me being me, I, I'm so busy during the day doing content, doing work with clients. I usually eat pretty light throughout the day and then I end up having a massive dinner. So that would be my recommendation for you, right? Like the way I do it is a thousand calorie meal is easily like a, a, a good size chicken breast or steak on the grill. Um, and then I will cook a sweet potato that's literally seven to 800 grams. It's huge. So I'm eating over a hundred grams of carbs just in that one sweet potato, like hundred and something. It's crazy. But I mean, sweet potatoes, you can buy a monster ass sweet potato. And what I do is I'll just bake it. And then I put a tablespoon of butter in it. Um, I have big steak or chicken and then I roast like green beans or broccoli or Brussels sprouts or whatever in the oven with uh, probably about a tablespoon of olive oil, which is a good amount of fat. So now I have this meal where I have a big dose of protein, a huge dose of carbs and a good amount of fat supplemented with all this healthy fats cooked in it. So it's easily – do that right there is a, a 1,000 to 1,200 calories for me just right there depending on what meat I choose and if I have any like sauce with it. So an easy way to do it is in my opinion is to have it have majority of your calories during the night because that's going to allow you to literally like just eat and do nothing like I eat that meal and we watch a couple episodes of like right now we're watching Sons of Anarchy again for some reason (laughs) and then go to bed right like I think that's an easy way to do it shakes are an easy way to do it so for me I have a post-workout shake every single day help blunt the cortisol response because I'm naturally a high cortisol individual so I have a carb and protein shake right afterwards that does not fill me up whatsoever but it's an extra you know 300 400 calories right there Um, so very very simple shit man but like even if for like people like you getting your fats through oils right add butter to your oatmeal to your sweet potato add coconut oil like one or two teaspoons while you're cooking that's going to add you know a good amount of fat whole eggs versus egg whites like little things like that add up and don't make a huge difference as far as like how full you feel compared to the the lower calorie version. Um, and then with carbs, same thing, picking like low, like high volume, lower, uh, sources. So like, if you look at, uh, rice, like rice is, you know, 45 grams for a cup, but it's pretty fucking filling. One cup of rice is filling. Two cups is really filling. It's only 90 carbs, but 90 carbs of a sweet potato is a lot smaller. So for you, what you can do is eat a big sweet potato and get 150 grams of carbs and be as eat, eat that as easily as like one one and a half cups of rice two cups of rice you know so you can do little tricks like that but man oils and stuff like that are really great and then uh man just man up just because i know you and you're gonna laugh when you hear this man up eat more food bro get big 
uh, intuitive eating. So I don't know if that's a struggle or a confusion, but I would say like to me, you cannot be an intuitive eater until you've tracked macros. I truly believe that. Or even just track your food in general on a piece of paper, whatever, because if you aren't, if you're not learning how to become more aware, how are you going to become more aware without having the metric right in front of you? I think that's super important, right? Like, I mean, how can I look at a cup of rice and know that it's about this much and that is about this much carbs and I need about this much carbs unless I've tracked everything to a dialed point. So I believe that everybody should track at least once so they can actually become more intuitive. Um, and then learning the difference between uh, hunger and – or like cravings and, and hunger because a lot of people – and I, I took – I'm taking this from somebody. I can't remember who. But a lot of people will be like, man, I'm, I'm fucking starving. Like, oh, okay, what do you want to get? You want to get some, like, tacos? I'm like, ah, Mexican doesn't sound good. All right, well, uh, what about, like, uh, a burger? Ah, a burger doesn't sound good. What about sushi? Oh, yeah, let's do sushi. I'm starving. That's not, that's not starving. That's not hunger. That's cravings, right? Because hunger is when you actually have to eat. And if you were actually hungry, you would be less worried about what you were eating and more focused on getting fuel to your body. So I think uh, becoming an intuitive eater means becoming more aware with your body, becoming more aware with food, be becoming more aware with the quantity of food and what quality of food does for you. So like tracking your biofeedback is huge for that too, because if you eat a greasy burger and you notice your biofeedback sucks, your sleep sucks, your digestion sucks, you're bloated, your energy sucks. But the next day you eat salmon with white rice and some mixed roasted veggies, um, and take some fucking fish oil with it or something. And you notice your biofeedback goes through the roof that day. Well, now you can associate good feelings with good food, which helps a ton. So I think intuitive eating just comes down to self-awareness across the board. Uh, getting enough protein in daily, that seems to be a regular challenge. Um, I mean, in your case, because I know you, you're a client and you have some autoimmune issues going down, this isn't an option for you. But for most people listening, the answer would be protein powder. If you have no intolerant issue with protein, like – have some protein powder. I mean, it's it's that simple. Before and after your workouts, that's an extra 50 grams of protein right there. Boom. Easy. Um, the next thing is as long as you're not a vegan or a vegetarian, I would say just target meat in every single meal. Like meat is going to be your go-to, right? Like so for breakfast, you have eggs. For lunch, you have chicken breast. For dinner, you have steak. Cool. Repeat that. Maybe you switch steak with fish every other day. But if you do that, like you can easily get – you know, 40 grams of protein in each meal right there, that's 120 grams. Not to mention you're going to get 30 to 40 grams throughout the day just based on your carbon fat sources being added in. Um, and then if you add the protein shakes, that's another 50. Shit, you're, you're well over the amount you need probably to be in that 0 0.08 to 1 gram per pound of body weight. So I would just suggest like it really comes down to having animal products in each meal um, as long as you're not a vegan or a vegetarian. And then – and most vegan and vegetarians are aware of how to do it because you need to go the extra mile. Like I just had a – I just posted a transformation on my Instagram of a vegetarian client I have, a vegan client I have. Crazy transformation in only seven weeks. But, you know, you got you to gotta add protein powder. You got to space out your meals. You got to really focus on macros. You got to do a little bit extra. So most vegans understand that. Um, but otherwise, like add animal products. They're so high in protein and they're full of nutrients. They're great for us. It's like the easiest way to do it. And then just look at those protein sources and then just – Add big, bigger serving sizes. So I'll look at people's meals and they'll be like, I'm struggling to get protein. I'm like, all right, let's look at your meals. All right, well, you have you have a cup of egg whites in the morning and you have four ounces of chicken at lunch and you have a six-ounce steak at dinner. Okay, well, let's make that six-ounce steak an eight-ounce steak. I'm sure you could eat a little more steak. It's great. Cool. Okay, let's add a whole egg or two to that egg whites because that will add some protein and some nutrients. And then make that four-ounce chicken five ounces simple you're you're not adding food you're not adding anything you're just tweaking adjustments tweaking uh, portion sizes just a little bit and i guarantee that's going to help you um increase your overall protein intake guaranteed hormonal down regulation so hormonal down regulation is basically exactly what it sounds like it's when your hormones are starting to down regulate so we go back to the reverse diet talk we just had a little bit ago if we look at um just in general, like dieting for too long um, or just like I talk a lot about the stress versus uh, adaptation spectrum or balance equation. And basically what that means is like if your recovery is – or if your stress is outweighing your recovery, like they don't match up, then your hormones are going to downregulate slowly. So is your nervous system because everything in life is a stress, uh, emotional stress, work stress, family stress, mental stress. Uh, muscular stress, nervous system stress, like everything, all stress in life is essentially nervous system stress, to be honest with you. 
all, all stress in life, no matter what category it's in, whether it's training or it's somewhere else, emotionally, mentally, it, it all dawns on your body neurologically. And what that is going to do, it's going to slowly shut down sy systems. So it's going to shut down the way you move, the way you function, the way you burn fat, the way you build muscle, the way you uh, repair tissues in your body. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change everything, testosterone, estrogen, cortisol, everything. So we have to understand that if we do not balance out the equation between stress and adaptation and adaptation being recovery, then we are going to have a downregulating system. Metabolism is going to slow, testosterone, all these things I just spoke of, they're all going to slowly downregulate and get slower and slower and slower until you're literally flatlining. You're just tapped out. Your body's not changing. You're not seeing the results you want. And the reason is simple. Like you just push your body too far on the stress side and you did not bring it up enough on the recovery side, the adaptation side. Because again, every stress we provide our body with, we need to provide it with a uh, recovery modality in order for it to adapt properly, plain and simple. So it really just comes down to balancing that out. And if you can balance that out, then hormonal downregulation will not happen. Um, so for people in a state that are already hormonally downregulated, your goal is to reduce training intensity, I would say. I don't like reducing frequency or volume because I think that drives people crazy because if you're training six days a week and you're used to that and then I tell you you're going to train three days a week and they're going to be half as long, you're going to go crazy. So I'd rather be like, hey, keep training six days a week. We might shorten them 10 minutes or not at all, but we're going to lower the intensity, which means that you're going to take longer breaks between sets. You're not going to have a metabolic finisher at the end. You're not going to be doing uh, anything over 80% maximal intensity on the bar as far as load goes. And we just we just kind of bring up your your bring down your stress demand or your stress uh, I guess input that way your recovery demand grows or, or lessens so you you can kind of catch up okay so basically what I'm saying there is you just need to balance out that stress to recovery at a uh, spectrum or balance or um, equation and that way you can recover better and you can recover more and, and you could actually recover I should say. The struggle of binge slash stress eating and taking care of yourself. I see far too many people living on the extremes. What would be the best advice in terms of creating a better relationship with food? I would just honestly go back to what I talked about with the emotional eating question and then the the one with the lady who had uh, the thyroid issue who um, was struggling to lose that last 5 or 10 pounds. Basically what I'm saying here is like – I think the answer is working on yourself, digging a little bit deeper and working on the mental side, the emotional side, meditating, positive focus, gratitude. These little simple things on a daily basis will change the way your brain works. And because of that, you are going to have less stress and you're going to be less likely to binge. And then again, like remove the shit in your house. Like that's like the easiest thing. If there's nothing to binge on, you'll end up binging like, okay, so we remove all the cookies, but we kept the oranges. Do you think that same person who binge on cookies is going to binge on oranges? Probably not. And even if they did, that's a much better solution or outcome. So I would just honestly suggest removing removing things out of the house and then changing the stress, right? And uh, and sometimes that means doing a little bit less or doing more of less. And what I mean by that, and I actually just had a conversation with one of my clients about this, is instead of being go, go, go all the time, maybe you'd spend more time doing down-regulating stuff, yoga, float tank, meditation, uh, walk, uh, massage, things like that are going to down-regulate your nervous system. They're going to slow you down. They're going to create a recovery. They're going to just chill you out a little bit. And because of that, stress lowers. You're going to be less likely to binge. Um, and then last but not least, get more sleep. Studies have shown that anybody who can get seven to nine hours of sleep per night is literally, I, I want to say it's like at least 50% less likely to have any cravings whatsoever and is 50% more likely to lose weight and body fat. And there's a study specifically proving that because one group slept like five hours a night, the other group slept between seven and nine. Drastic differences. Protein is such a hot topic these days. How much, what kind, combined with other foods, etc. I've read that our body will only really consume about 20 grams of protein at a time. Anything above that amount is excreted or converted to fat. What are your thoughts on that topic? And if it's true, do we really need as much protein as often suggested? I ask because I have difficulty eating as much protein as recommended. I eat about 60 to 70 grams max a day. I weigh about 150 pounds. Goal, goals are to lean up, lose fat, make muscles stronger, but not necessarily grow in size. Um, so... This, I mean, this is a great, great question. First of all, go back to the question I just, or the answer about how to get more protein in. Look at your diet, adjust portion sizes, add a protein shake, and you'll be golden because you do need more than 60 to 70 grams. 
you should be getting anywhere between 135 to 165 grams of protein per day if you're 150 pounds. It would be my suggestion just off of just your weight. I don't know your height and your activity level, but that would be my guess. Um, I think that – so here's the deal. We need to – when the whole 20 grams of protein consumption thing, it was – so we got to understand there's a difference between digesting and absorb. So a lot of people started saying that, oh, you can only absorb 20 to 25 grams of protein and people started taking that and saying you can only digest 20 to 25 grams. That's false. If you eat 100 grams of protein in a setting, you will absorb it and digest it. Um, your body doesn't doesn't really store protein as fat to be honest with you. You'll actually piss it out as nitrate before you store it as body fat. Um, you're, you're – I mean, there's so many different tissues in the body, skeletal, muscular, uh, even in your immune system, your reproductive system, cardiovascular. I mean, there's, I don't know all the, <laughs> off the top of my head, but there's a lot of tissues in the body that can actually run and function off protein. So what you do not use as muscular recovery, your body will use to repair other systems in the body, other tissues in the body, or piss out as nitrate. It, like literally 99.9% doesn't get stored as fat. From what From the literature I've read, it's extremely hard. There's a study that showed people, and it wasn't a super long-term study. I want to say it was like eight weeks or something. But these guys were literally eating, I want to say it was three grams per kilogram, so almost two grams of protein, two grams per pound of body weight in protein. And they actually got leaner than the other individuals. Now, that's not to say that protein was the reason they got leaner, but it is to say that you're not going to store body fat if you have over the over the limit on protein. Um, they recently did a study that was two years long uh, eating, I want to say it was around, I think it was exactly one gram per pound of body weight uh, in protein, which is considered a high amount. Um, and they saw no extra body fat. They actually got leaner. They built more muscle. Performance was better. And they actually had zero health parameters that were negative. So no kidney issues, no liver issues, nothing. None of the rumors that have ever been claimed about protein are actually happening in these individuals. And these, pro these studies are finally proving that. So I love that. As far as how much to consume. There is a study on, um, God, I'm gonna look at it right now. It's, um, journal of international sports science nutrition. I don't, I don't have the thing right in front of me cause I don't have internet on, but I want to say that's what it is, but they did a study, um, on this exact topic. And what they found was that ideal amount is actually around 40 grams per meal for most people. So, Anywhere between 25 to 45 grams, depending on your body weight, is actually what shows to be best for muscle protein synthesis, which is the anabolic response we get from when we eat protein that allows our body to build more muscle, rebuild tissue, recover, burn fat, so on and so forth, all the shit that we really want. So 20 grams is not it, – it's ideal. It's more than most, but it's not optimal. Right? You should probably be in, at your weight, you know, 25, 30, 35 grams per meal you would be in a better place. You'd be more satiated on a diet. You'd have a better recovery response. You'd have a better performance response. You'd be more likely to build muscle. And you'd have absolutely zero issues with health. So I, I highly recommend going up. And studies have proved that you can absorb more. And on top of that, like we got to remember too that those studies that showed the 20 grams or 25 grams of protein being the maximal absorbable protein way back were all these studies were done on fast-acting whey protein, meaning you consume that and you absorb it within five to 10 minutes. So what this means is that depending on your body weight, again, um, you're not going to get a big benefit out of taking two or three grams or scoops of protein, right? So me being 170 pounds, I should probably take a, a scoop and a quarter, scoop and a half, but me taking two and a half scoops isn't going to, I'm not going to absorb more protein because of that. It's not going to be more beneficial than the 25 grams of protein would have been. But if I eat a steak that has 80 grams of protein, there's a lot of fat, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of protein, a lot of fat, depending on what I eat with it, there's carbohydrates in the meal as well, fiber, nutrients, um, and it's solid, it's not liquid. All these things cause bile, saliva, all these different enzymes in my body to stop, slow it down, break it down, extract nutrients, and then try to assimilate and absorb what's left. So now we're taking that 25 gram rule and instead of it being in five minutes, we're spreading it across the next four hours because it takes a long time to digest that steak. So I'm slowly, slowly absorbing this protein, which means that technically we will absorb that whole entire 80 grams of protein steak, 60 grams of protein steak. 
So what they find is that the reason they saw that was because one, it's a it's a protein powder, it's immediate versus real food. Um, and then another thing we have to think about is the thermic effect of food. When we eat protein, I think it's 26% of it is broken down and burned as calories immediately just to digest. So the thermic effect of protein is like 20-something percent. Thermic effect of carbs is like 9 and then I want to say – or it's like 6. I don't know what it is. Fat is like 3%. So we don't burn a lot of calories digesting carbs or fat. but We burn a lot of the calories from protein just digesting it. So even that alone takes a chip off the protein. So um, – the best way to go is anywhere between 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound depending on where you're at in your fat loss journey. If you have a lot of weight to lose, obviously down lower in the spectrum or you can just base things off your goal weight um, is going to be the best way to go. It's not going to harm you. It's not going to store as fat um, and you're not going to have any issues with it. So I actually recommend around body weight, especially if you're trying to lose, uh, lean up and lose fat but make your muscles strong, which is your goal, you need to. Um, your, your muscles aren't really going to – you're a female. Your muscles aren't going to grow in size that quick, especially just from having more protein. The only way we, like you, we can get big and gain big muscles naturally is to be in a calorie surplus. So not only do you need to have this much protein, but you need to have a hell of a lot more carbohydrates to be in a surplus and allow the performance modalities needed to build real muscle. Um, Wow, so that was a lot of uh, a lot. Let me finish this this with this last one. What is the maximum deficit that is healthy for a client? Does this change depending on the amount of weight they need to lose? Ten versus thirty versus fifty versus eighty pounds. If so, why? Great question. Um, yes to all that. The maximal amount for a healthy client, I would say, is eight times your body weight. So, and it depends, right? If you have, we go to the upper limit, eighty pounds. First of all, I'm not even looking at calories because even then, like, it could be five times your body weight, depending on how much weight you have to lose. When you get into the healthy range of, I would say like 40 pounds or less is when we really start looking at these numbers. And I would say eight times your body weight is the lowest I like to go. But again, if somebody has a ton of weight to lose and their biofeedback is great, then I'm not too worried about it. But for most individuals, like eight to 10 times your body weight is like extreme fat loss. And that's just, that's a really general term, but it is for most people. Like let's say I have 170 pound um, individual who wants to drop 20 pounds. Um, and if I do the math right now, so obviously times 10 is only 1700 calories, but if we do times eight, that's only 1300 calories. So that's really fucking low. So somebody like that, let's say they're getting on stage and we have a deadline. Well, if they did a, the off season, right to make sure that their metabolism, their hormones are healthy and we have diet breaks and refeeds in place, then we might be able to push them to eight times their body weight and calories for, uh, temporary periods of time. Um, in between refeeds and stuff to get them to that goal. But it's not a long-term strategy. It's not necessarily healthy. It's actually very unhealthy, but it's part of the journey to get on stage. It is what it is. Like that's just part of the journey. Even 10 times your body weight is really low. But if I have a person that's 200 pounds that should be 150 pounds, 10 times their body weight is 2,000 calories, right? That's a bit – and that's a lot for somebody that's 150 pounds for losing weight. So it really, really depends to be honest with you. Um, so it does change uh, depending on the amount of weight they have to lose. Because when we look at the body, the body will start burning stored fat before it will start draining hormones or burning muscle tissue, right? If, if for me, I'm, I'm already lean, I would love to be leaner and I'm going to strive to be leaner going into the summer. But at the end of the day, if I drove myself into an eight or 10 times my body weight uh, in calories diet deficit, like that's going to be a huge deficit. That's going to take a big toll. It's going to remove some muscle tissue. I'm going to lose some muscle. I'm going to really damage my nervous system and my hormones way more so than somebody that has 50 to 80 pounds to lose. So it really comes down to the amount of weight you have to lose and the timeline as well. And then this, the desired goal, right? So there's, I mean, there's a lot of depends, but again, you guys know me well and, and everything I do is, uh, it's extremely individualized. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide to Mastering Your Diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. 
The next thing is gonna be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spend a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.